And we've drawn nearer and nearer to Christmas. And as we've uh, been going through this, uh, this Advent season, we've also now come to the end of, of our series for, for this year. This series, Emmanuel, God with us. We've taken a look at, at the ways that God promises us that in all things, He is present, He is in our midst, He is with us in every facet of life. There's one thing that I've recognized about the way that we've sort of approached this series uh, is also kind of reflective of, I think, something that we Lutherans tend to emphasize perhaps a bit more than some other Christian traditions. See, one thing that we tend to talk a lot about is the way that God is with us in the difficult parts of life. You think of the the three weeks of, of our sermon series. We've talked about God with us in our suffering, in our pain, in our anguish, in the things that we go through in the toil of life. We've talked about God with us in temptation, when we're faced with enticement towards sin, to reject the will of God, we're promised that God is with us, present in that. And then last week, Pastor Brad talked about the way that God is with us in our callings. That every part of life, the, the work that we've been given to do, He's there, He's present, He's with us in the office, He's with us in the home, He's with us everywhere. And I think the thing that these three things all have in common is they do tend to be the more challenging parts of our lives. Suffering, temptation, trying to faithfully fulfill our callings. This is often hard work facing these things. And I think sometimes because we tend to emphasize the way that God is with us in the difficult parts of life, we Lutherans tend to sometimes forget that God is also there present in the midst of our joy in the midst of our our celebration. And in fact, not only is God present there, He wants us to have joy. He wants us to have celebration. The future that He has in store for us isn't going to be suffering and toil and temptation. It's going to be joy and celebration with Him and His kingdom. So I think sometimes we need to be reminded that just as God is with us in the painful parts of life, so too He is present with us in the joyful parts. And in fact, He is the source and the reason for joy in life. We hear Him promise that in John chapter 16 when He's speaking to His disciples at the Last Supper. In John's Gospel, we see the Last Supper sort of uh, spans a great deal of John's Gospel, several chapters And what we read this morning about sorrow turning to joy, it comes right after Jesus has just gone on this lengthy discourse about how he is one day going to depart to be with the Father. And when that happens, the disciples will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. And then he continues with these words that we pick up in verse 16. He says, A little while and you will see me no longer, and again a little while and you will see me. Most people agree that when Jesus says this, that he is speaking rather specifically, not about his ascension and return, but he is speaking about the weekend ahead. He's speaking about his death and his resurrection. 
So when Jesus says, a little while and you will see me no longer, what he is trying to tell his disciples is, I am about to be betrayed, handed over, and crucified. And then when he says, again, a little while and you will see me, he's saying, though I will be crucified, though I will die, I am going to rise again three days later. Now the disciples, they're still kind of confused. They still don't understand this. Even though he's told them repeatedly that he's going to suffer, that he's going to die and rise again on the third day, they still don't seem to grasp this reality. And so the disciples are filled with confusion. Verse 17, So some of his disciples said to one another, What is this that he says to us? A little while and you will not see me, and again a little while and you will see me, and because I'm going to the Father. So they were saying, what does he mean by a little while? We do not know what he is talking about. So the disciples begin to speak with one another, say, we are not really sure what he's saying, what's going on, what does Jesus mean here when he says a little while? You see, because the disciples still don't seem to believe, don't seem to understand that the way the Messiah of Israel will accomplish his rescue is through the cross. They don't understand what he still needs to go through, so they begin to question among themselves. And Jesus, being perceptive to their questioning, he begins to then respond to it. He says, verse 19, Jesus knew that they wanted to ask him, so he said to them, Is this what you are asking yourselves? What I meant by saying, A little while and you will not see me, and again a little while and you will see me. Truly, truly, I say to you, you will weep and lament, but the world will rejoice. You will be sorrowful, but your sorrow will turn into joy. So we see again here, this is why many people think that Jesus isn't speaking about the future ascension and return of Christ, but he's speaking very near at this point about the death and resurrection that he's going to go through. It's because of the way that he speaks about what his disciples will experience. That when Jesus goes away in a little while and they no longer see him, they're going to be filled with sorrow. They're going to weep. They're going to lament. There's going to be pain. Why? Because the one they had put their trust in is gone, is taken, is dead. On the other hand, the world is going to be rejoicing. They'll be happy to be rid of him. But Jesus says, fear not because your sorrow is going to turn into joy. Because you are going to behold me, I am going to rise victorious over death. And your sorrow will turn into joy. As a way of further explaining this, Jesus uses the analogy of labor and delivery. Verse 21, When a woman is giving birth, she has sorrow because her hour has come. But when she has delivered the baby, she no longer remembers the anguish for joy that a human being has been born into the world. So also, you have sorrow now, but I will see you again and your hearts will rejoice. And no one, no one will take your joy from you. Remember that phrase, no one will take your joy from you. And that day you will ask nothing of me. Truly, truly, I say to you, whatever you ask of the Father in my name, he will give to you. 
Until now you have asked nothing in my name. Ask and you will receive that your joy may be full. So Jesus here, he speaks of his death and resurrection in terms of a woman giving birth. Which I'm told is painful. I don't know myself. But I have seen firsthand the joy. That even though birth, even though labor and delivery is a painful experience, it's a cause for anguish. It's a cause for perhaps some weeping. As soon as the end of that comes, and the child is held in the mother's arms, immediately the sorrow is forgotten, the pain is forgotten, and it gives way to the joy of beholding that newborn baby. And Jesus says to his disciples, my resurrection is going to be like that for you. Yes, there's going to be pain, there's going to be weeping, lamenting, you'll be filled with sorrow at my death, but I'm going to rise and you are going to forget it all. And that sorrow is going to give way to joy. And it's not temporary joy. It is unceasing, unending joy that Jesus promises to his disciples. He says, no one will be able to take your joy from you. Which is a rather extraordinary claim, isn't it? I mean, think about what Jesus' followers would go through. The lives that they would lead for the sake of the gospel. And Jesus says, in the face of all of it, your joy will not end. No one will be able to take it from you. Even in the face of your rejection. Even in the face of being hurt and harmed and being recipients of violence. No one will take your joy from you. Even in the face of martyrdom, Jesus promises his disciples, no one will take your joy from you. Because their joy rests in what they're about to behold. Their joy is in the fact that they have seen, that they know, that they trust in and follow Jesus who has risen victorious over death. And so what Jesus promises that his work brings, his life, death, and resurrection brings to his followers is joy. It changes sorrow into joy, unending, unchanging joy that no one, no one can take from you. Now, maybe you're, you're hearing that and you're thinking, oh, really? Then why do I so frequently experience life without joy? Why is it that my life seems more characterized by pain, by sorrow, by weeping, lamenting, anguish, when Jesus seems to think that his resurrection somehow magically turns everything into joy? And I think in some ways, Jesus' promise of joy that no one can take from his disciples is a little bit of an indictment on our joyless lives. Because so often we choose to cling to bitterness. We choose to cling to anger and resentment in life. We choose to see the things that we've been called to. We think, you know what, I know maybe God has a plan for me. 
I know this is all according to his will, but I kind of disdain him for it. And in the call and the promise that his resurrection brings joy, there's an indictment of that kind of living. There is a call to let go of the bitterness. Let go of the anger. Let go of the resentment. Because what God longs for us to experience is not sorrow, but joy. Now, now perhaps you're thinking, yeah, but, but pastor, things are a little different for me. I mean, the disciples, they, they kind of have it a little bit easier. Their cause for sorrow is resolved. Right? They have sorrow because their teacher, their master, the one they had confessed to be the Christ had died. And of course, they're sorrowful for that. But when Jesus rises, their sorrows resolve. They have no reason to be sorrowful. They have no reason to weep and lament anymore. And so all of that, it just gives way to the experience of joy. And things aren't quite the same for us, are they? You and I, we haven't had the opportunity to see the resurrected Jesus with our own two eyes the way the disciples did. And not only that, but what about all of those things in our lives that aren't so neatly resolved by the resurrection? What about the suffering, and the pain, and the grief we still experience? What about the temptation we constantly face? What about even just simply trying to daily fulfill those vocations that we've been given that leave us feeling empty and exhausted? What about that? What about those things that bring us sorrow that remain unresolved? Now, I'll be honest, I I wish that I had just a simple sort of three-step process for more joyful living in 2019. But unfortunately, I don't. And I recognize that that kind of advice just tends to devolve into sort of these empty religious platitudes, and Lord knows we have enough of those around Christmas. But even though I can't provide a simple three-step process, I do believe that the life of Jesus, the gift of Jesus, the promise of his resurrection still has something to offer us in the face of unresolved sorrow. And the thing that I believe it has to offer us is is quite simply this. Hope. The gift that Jesus offers us is hope. The promise of Jesus is that you and I, in the face of all of life's circumstances, the good things and the bad things, we always have hope because we've been given this promise that God is with us. Right, so if you're experiencing chronic pain, illness, if you are facing cancer or you're walking with a loved one through cancer, you have hope in that. You have hope because the resurrection of Jesus promises that this is not all God has in store for you. But because Jesus has risen from the dead and promises that he is coming again to heal and restore all of creation, the promise you've been given is that he is also going to heal our broken and decrepit bodies. And because you have that promise, you have hope. 
Or, or maybe you're facing temptation. Sin you just can't quit. That thorn in your flesh that you've begged and you've pleaded and you've prayed day after day and night after night for God to simply take it away and it just doesn't end. In the face of that, you have hope. You have hope because the promise is that on the cross, Jesus has already paid for our sins. He has wiped the stains of your sins away. Your sin, your shame, all of it has been nailed to the cross and you have been wiped clean. You are presented as pure and holy and perfect in the sight of God. And so because of that promise, even in the face of your sin, you have hope. And because you have hope, you can keep fighting. Keep battling. Keep working to resist temptation because you've been given hope. Or maybe you're, you're dealing with grief. Maybe you've lost someone very dear to you. Or maybe even years later, you still find yourself grieving the loss of a spouse, a child, a, child, a, a dear friend or, or loved one. And maybe in the face of that, you feel empty, you feel broken, and you've prayed for God to heal you. In the face of that grief, you have hope. You have hope because death and the separation it brings does not get the final say, but the tomb of Jesus is empty, and His resurrection gets the final say. And so in the face of your grief that you experience day after day, you still have hope that this is not the end. But just as Jesus rose, your loved ones will be raised and you will be reunited with them when he brings his perfect kingdom. And because you have that promise, you have hope. Or maybe you find yourself, you're you're living life just punching in and out. You're working a job that you hate for reasons you can't understand, and you're tired, you're exhausted, and you're not quite sure what God's purpose is for you. Or you're at home and and you're raising children and and you want to be done by noon every single day. In the face of that, you have hope. You have hope because Jesus promises to sanctify your work. And everything that you do in his name is done to the glory of God. And he promises that nothing, nothing that you do will be done in vain. And because you have that promise, you have hope. Or maybe you or or someone you know is struggling with with mental illness. The pain of life is is destroyed by, or is brought about by, by depression by anxiety. In the face of that, you have hope. You have hope that no matter how dark your days, no matter how empty or pointless or lonely life feels, that God is with you. Christ has poured out His Spirit upon you. And he is present through the power of that spirit. And so even when it doesn't feel like it, he is nearer than you can ever imagine. Even when you can't muster up the faith to believe it, the promise that you have is that God 
is with you. He has not forgotten you. And because you have that promise, you have hope. Because after all, that is the promise that each and every single one of us has received. This promise that our God is not far off, but He has drawn near. This promise that He hears us when we pray in Jesus' name. The promise that He's working in us, fighting for us, defending us in the face of every single thing that would bring us harm or seek to steal our joy. The promise that each and every one of us receive in Jesus is this simple yet profound promise that our God has come to be with us. And if God is with you, and He is with you, you always have hope. You always have hope that no matter how painful life circumstances are, there is more in store. The pain, the anguish, the suffering, the temptation, the depression and anxiety is not all there is because the baby we're about to celebrate on Christmas would grow up to be the man who bore the cross on Good Friday and walk victorious out of the tomb on Easter Sunday. And because He is with you, you always have hope. And when you have hope, you can experience joy even in the face of the most painful things in life because your joy is not built on changing circumstances. Your joy is built on the unchangeable, immovable, unshakable hope of Jesus Christ. The hope that God is with us. You know, I know that uh, over the next couple of days... What was preached or what was said or sung in worship on on Sunday, December 23rd may not be the thing that you remember most clearly. And that's okay. In fact, for for the sake of, of me being humbled, it's probably for the best. But what I pray and, and what I hope that you would experience is, as you gather with friends and family and, and your community of faith over the Christmas celebrations is is that you would experience unspeakable joy. I pray that you would experience unspeakable joy because the hope of the world has come. In those celebrations, in your worship, in eating too much, and the joy that comes with it, May you remember that promise in your joy that God has come to be with us. Amen? Amen.